Hello, everybody, and welcome to another free thought session here at Ask a Wizard. Uh, today, the shout out goes to a Facebook group called Stoicism Convos. That's a Facebook group, Stoicism Convos. You can find that at facebook.com forward slash groups slash Stoicism Convos. And uh, we saw some really, really great conversations going on over there. I'm glad to see you guys really enjoyed Nietzsche's paradox. And uh, yes, that's why Nietzsche's garbage and uh, isn't a stoic philosopher, people. <laughs> and so, um, you know, Nietzsche basically was actually antithetical to stoicism in most regards. And um, I saw the question popping up a lot in this group regarding what is stoicism. And what shocked me is that there are people who are claiming to be knowledgeable of stoicism and therefore philosophy, therefore to be a philosopher of sorts. And they're ridiculing and humiliating people who are coming into a stoicism group and trying to learn about what stoicism is. And... Um, we're called to educate, not to humiliate those who don't know. So uh, in alignment with good philosophy, that's what I'm doing with this video here. I put this together for that group specifically. Um, of course, everyone's welcome to take advantage of this. If you want to know a little bit more about what stoicism is, uh, I'll go over what my thoughts are on it. And more importantly, I'm going to direct you towards the original thinkers' thoughts, where those books are, who they are people are so that rather than listening to um, some random guy on Facebook, some guy who calls himself a wizard on YouTube, uh, you can actually learn from the masters themselves. So we'll be going over that here as well. So that's the question today here is what is stoicism? So I'm going to try and explain this uh, to the best of my ability here to help you if you're, if you're new to the philosophy or you've heard about it, you want to get more information. That's what I want to be able to help you out with here today. So, to find out what Stoicism is, we actually have to go a bit further back to the intellectual sources of where Stoicism comes from. Um, Stoicism is not a unique arboration of philosophical thought. It is uh, essentially a way of living your life that has been created based on the presuppositions and logical discoveries created by the philosophers Socrates and then Plato and Aristotle. And just so you know, because there will probably be some in the chat that feel the need to put these in the comments, um, there is debate as to whether Socrates is a caricature from Plato or um, if you know some of what supposedly is Socrates is actually Plato, some of what is uh, Plato's is actually Socrates, but so on and so forth. There's a lot of debate about this, and it's not important. Uh, the, what is important, you could boil this all down to Plato versus Aristotle. All philosophical problems fall into a dichotomy the, nowadays between Aristotle and Plato. And that's where that famous painting, uh, you'll see that actually going by on the screen here occasionally, Aristotle versus Plato. Um, that's the, the crux of all debate and philosophical endeavors. Now, 
there is a separate subgroup known as the Hegelians, and they trace their roots back to the Hermeticist, the uh, occult, the uh, left-hand path. They've always made up the minority of the population, and this is the groups behind the philosophies of Hegel, which birthed the ideologies of Nietzsche, uh, that birthed the ideologies of Schopenhauer. <laughs> Schopenhauer, let me tell you, he didn't put up with uh, Hegel's nonsense for one bit. In fact, uh, Schopenhauer completely shot Hegel and his just disgusting Hegelian uh, evil, evil religious cult-like philosophy down. That being said, uh, Nietzsche was a product of that philosophy as well as the Nazi movement, feminism, Marxism, and uh, things of this nature. So that philosophy being totally separate from that of Aristotle and Plato is the rejection of truth at all and the belief that destruction is the only way forward by destroying everything some utopia or perfect world will come from the ashes and so that's the hegelians they're an extremely small subset their uh, philosophy defeats itself on its first reiteration if you think about it and that's the nietzsche's paradox that i uh, posted in there for you guys so that's what that context is. And so what we want to really focus in here on is Aristotle and Plato, because they are in, in Socrates. Um, Socrates is actually the teacher of Plato, who's also the teacher of Aristotle. That's the uh, intellectual chain for you there. And they created the core axiomatic principles upon which Stoicism is founded. And so the three core aspects, you could call these the assumptions that the Stoics make, is the belief in the dialectic, the belief in the natural and nature, and I'll define that for you uh, in just a bit here, but let's get through this, and then the third is the logos. So let's get dive into what those three tenets are that make Stoicism possible. So, the dialectic is essentially how to think. You're not taught how to do this in uh, school anymore. They remove this because they consider free thinkers a threat and they replace this with what's called the Hegelian lialectic. That is a uh, false way of thinking that does not produce results and actually produces mental illness in a lot of people. And so that's what's taught today. The dialectic is how to actually think. You may have heard of what's called the Socratic method. That is a demonstration or a method of applying the dialectic. So what is the dialectic? Well, it's a bit of a complicated subject. So I actually have an entirely free course called the self-learning course uh, that teaches you what the dialectic is, what the Hegelian lialectic is, and how to use it. And we walk it through with some examples. It's a completely free thing. Uh, if you're interested in that, just comment below, put I'm interested, and we'll get in contact. I don't know. You can go to my TikTok and DM me. Uh, you can go to my Instagram. It's all at Ask a Wizard if you're interested in that. But to really, really speed up what the dialectic is in a little nutshell, dialectic is... Uh, a conversation between two people who say, hey, I believe that there's truth and I don't know the answer to this question. Do you also believe there's truth and don't know the answer to this question? Let's talk about it and try and see if we can figure out what the truth is. So for example, what is justice? And person one will present a argument for what justice is and 
they will present that and say, this is what I think justice is, and this is the logical reasoning behind why I believe it. Then person two's job is to criticize, critique, and take down that belief, show why it's wrong, and uh, then the roles reverse. And then person two presents a theory, and person one critiques, and so on and so forth. And you can do this as a group as well. And so that's the dialectic in a nutshell. If you want the, the details on how to actually start doing that, just put I'm interested in the comments below. So second is nature and natural. So the what you hear when you hear the word nature and natural, this is a little confusing from the translation from the Greek to uh, uh, English and or American, as I like to call it. Uh, the nature means almost like all that happens. <laughs> and and that's hard to, it, it all that happens um, in the world so for example a, a, a person walks out and gets hit by a bus um, that is natural because that was something that was inevitable that, that that happened and you couldn't prevent it and they couldn't prevent it so it was natural that was a thing that could happen and vice versa um, you know uh, seeing a particularly beautiful sunset is natural because it is something that can happen that does happen so that is this belief in the natural that that which happens happens because of it is true it's not just a delusion in your mind but it's something that truly did happen and then finally there is the concept of the logos this is the belief in the truth as in rationality logic and truth are the supreme in fact we religiously hold them up and say these things are above my feelings these are above society's feelings nothing goes above the truth the truth reigns supreme in fact this is actually um, a lot of people talk about how stoicism was essentially a form of secular christianity before christ came it's a very uh interesting parallel the the christian faith is essentially um a lot of these stoic principles layered over with the the hope the, the the promise of, of a kingdom of come as well. And so the, the principles are more or less the same there in the sense that the Logos is the supreme. Jesus Christ calls himself the Logos, the truth, the life, the way. That's, that's his whole... Uh, he's also the only major God to ever claim that as well. So uh, if you're not a Christian, I highly recommend checking it out. And if you're secular, you know, it's okay to be wrong, but that's okay. <laughs> so those are the three terms. And those three presuppositions are where Stoicism blossoms from. So these seeds, they're planted by Aristotle, Plato, and Socrates in the dialectic, the concept of this nature, and that's as all that happens. Um, and then three, the logos, that this is a pr the truth exists and it is above all. And the way that this fits in with the dialectic is that the dialectic means that not only does the truth exist and is it above all, but there is a means by which we can find that truth. And those means can be through logic, that's the dialectic, doing it through conversation, for example, and experience, and that's nature. And so those three things all work together in a trinity-like fashion. Now, there's this little intellectual bridge between Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, and then the the Stoics, and on to waddles onto the scene 
is what you might call a deranged hobo <laughs> in some contexts. And in other contexts, you might call him one of the greatest philosophers who ever lived, based on who he would talk to. This man's name was Diogenes. Uh, and Diogenes is this strange middle ground between the the just fundamental principles that were presented by Aristotle, Plato, and Socrates, and imagine Stoicism taken to an extreme. Um, almost, I wouldn't say Diogenes' goal was that of the Stoic. It was more the goal of freedom, which is an aspect of Stoicism, but well, I think it's easier to explain. Diogenes took Stoicism and the philosophical principles put forth by Aristotle, Plato, and Socrates uh, so seriously that he essentially thought well, the, the correct way to live is the most natural and the most uh, the, the most below my means, if you will. Like, how can I live on the least? That way, if I am happy with literally nothing, if I can become happy there, then I am the true master. Nothing can defeat me if I can be happy when I am in the absolute worst situations. And so Diogenes seeks out to to defy all social norms, to... Uh, to intentionally subject himself to torture. He was known for going out and rolling in the sun after it had baked in the, or rolling in the sand after it had baked in the sun, burning his body to suffer and endure pain. He would uh, crawl around the ground and eat amongst the rabid wild dogs as they chewed at meat. And he actually earned his nickname uh, Diogenes the Dog because of this. He lived inside of uh, a wine barrel and sat amongst the streets and collected what people would hand him out. And yet he was able to also contend with Plato and would uh, frequently break into his lectures and point out flaws in his lectures and tell him this is what's wrong. Um, famously, he came in covered in filth and busted in with a plucked chicken and said to Plato, I have found your man, uh, because based on Plato's presuppositions and lack of categorization, which, by the way, Aristotle was the one that really crushed at that. Plato, not as good at Aristotle when it comes to categorization. Uh, so Diogenes points out that based on Plato's definition of what a man could be, uh, a chicken plucked could also meet his definition of a man. And uh, so this Diogenes character is, is wild. And I think he's important to bring up for you here because uh, it's if you're just beginning into Stoicism, it's important to note that the philosophy is uh, something that needs to be taken into context with your life. And what I mean by that is you can, this is wisdom. And if you get too much wisdom, um, and you haven't lived it out yet, you can get yourself into trouble. And um, taking any idea, any 
other ideology, if you will, and ideology is essentially just a philosophy that has been prepackaged for you. And I want to point this out. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that that's actually beneficial for the majority of human beings is to have someone who's far greater at the thought process of philosophy, um, which is supposed to be about how to live a good life and have them go through that process for you and then, and then help you out. And so there's nothing wrong with that, but you want to be careful to not take these things uh, too extreme without seeing counter evidence to this philosophical standpoint. And so Diogenes, I think shows us this to be frank, commendable. I, I respect Diogenes and I think any philosopher worth his salt would say Diogenes definitely has many honorable characteristics, but uh, understand that this is a direction that stoicism can go if you take it too far and uh, to take that into consideration. I, I myself personally uh, think that the Christian stoicism is the appropriate response because it lifts you above the, the nature um, and says, no, you're obligated to seek out the beautiful, the good, and the true, and to try and create those things on this earth. That's the the next level, in my opinion. Um, but I'm not I'm not here to tell you what to think. Instead, I would like to encourage you to think. And so, uh, picking up books by Aristotle, Plato, and Socrates, and the Diogenes doesn't really have that a book per se. Um, and the books that we'll be discussing here further, please pick those up and educate yourself. But Diogenes does have some admirable cases as well. He was a homeless person who was known for being rude, disgusting, uh, being constantly arrested for public indecent activity, um, trying his best to live as a dog. He actually, when people called him the dog, he's like, the dog actually gets it. He's much better at philosophy than you guys. Uh, thank you for the compliment. And, uh, and yet, he has two encounters with Caesar, back to back. Caesar, at, the, at this time, is the most powerful man on the earth, by a long shot. Imagine more powerful than the president. This is a, a person who could snap his fingers and have you decapitated at a moment's notice with, with no questions asked. Caesar's walking through the streets and sees Diogenes digging through the trash, presumably for food. And Caesar's had heard of Diogenes and his uh, strange reputation for seemingly being this great philosopher and also deranged homeless person on the street who would frequently do acts of public indecency. And he sees him digging through the trash, and Caesar walks over with his uh, with his guard surrounding him. And he says, "You, are you the one they call Diogenes?" And he replies, "Yes." What is it that you dig for in there? And Diogenes responded to the most powerful man in the world. I was trying to find the bones of your father, but I could not distinguish them from the bones of the slaves. Uh, Caesar is now put in a very strange situation. And Caesar approaches him with his armed guards. 
fully within his capability of having Diogenes executed on site. And instead he says, Diogenes, I am Caesar. I can give you anything you wish. Speak it and it shall be done. And Diogenes looks at the strongest man on the earth, the most powerful man on the earth, and he tells him, I would have you step to the side. You're blocking my son. And so that's the legend of Diogenes. And he's this, uh, this middle ground between Aristotle, Plato, and Socrates and the Stoics. And I find him to be a, a wonderful example of the beauty of this philosophy at its extremes, but also the consequences that come along with it. And so finding how to appropriately apply this philosophy to your life is important. And so that's what we're going to uh, do now is now that we kind of know this intellectual foundation, let's walk into the true Stoics. And there's no better starting point, in my opinion, than the Marcus Aurelius's meditation. I think this is the entry point into Stoicism that everyone should read. Um, do not read anything modern, please. If, if the book has been written in the last 50 years, you might as well use that as kindling for your fire, in my opinion, if it's on the topic of philosophy. I'm sure there are some exceptions out there, but guys, why are you going to... Just think about this logically. Why are you going to a book that was written 50 years ago and it's had 50 years to be purged from not being important and relevant. When you could go and get Marcus Aurelius's meditation, which has had thousands of years to be considered irrelevant now and tossed away, but yet it is still considered the book and it keeps passing through the filter of time again and again and again to be that great. Uh, to, to, I should say, to get through that many years of history, that many purges, those plagues, the fires, the, the, the fires of London, the, the burning of the libraries of Alexandria, all of these uh, thieves and conquests and wars, and to still have a group of people the entire time say, these are the books that are worth dying for. These are the books worth hiding and saving and preserving. That says a lot about the book. So please stick with the older literature, especially when you're first starting out, then you can venture into the more modern stuff, but gosh, make sure you're going to the grades first. And so highly recommend Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Um, I sell books. I'm not gonna tell you how to buy them from me because I don't wanna sell you guys anything on this video. This is just for you guys and to help you out. So uh, Marcus Aurelius was considered the last good emperor in history. He is a s emperor, literally the emperor. He is the ruler, and yet he's also a stoic. And he really exemplifies this characteristic trait of this concept of the logos. And so Marcus Aurelius is one of the most powerful men in the world at the time. And yet, he constantly is emphasizing his equality with all the other people around him, down to the slave. Slave to the emperor, we are equal. 
We are made in the image of the Logos. We are made in the image of God. Some of them, the Stoics theorize that we are God-animal hybrids. But all of this comes down to God, the Logos, the truth, and how we have this unique ability as humans. And um, the Stoics believe a philosophical imperative to pursue the Logos, the truth. And uh, because of this connection, our ability to do that, uh, Marcus Aurelius recognizes this as a divine nature, and the Stoics recognize this as a divine nature. And as such, the argument is, well, if the slave is uh, in the bloodline of God, and the emperor is in the bloodline of God, the God is far above any emperor. Therefore, we are all equal, because we are all members of the kingdom of God and or the kingdom of the logos the truth so on and so forth depending on which stoic philosophy you go through and this is so interesting because you, you see Marcus Aurelius reminding himself of this constantly in his private personal journals this is what's really interesting about the meditations book is it wasn't meant for the public it was actually requested to be destroyed um after his death but his uh his friends betrayed him <laughs> and they actually published it it was his personal reflections um that were written down here and so it does add some genuineness to this that he he did seem to truly be a practicing stoic philosopher and uh as an emperor and people seem to really really respect him i mean he literally goes down as the last good emperor and he's constantly doing mantras and saying, you know, the worst will happen to me today. The awfulest things I can imagine could occur. Now I want to mentally prepare myself for that worst case scenario. Is my life still worth living if those things happen? And the answer being yes. He says, fine, then it is still worth living. Then I shall go and I shall take this day into my hands, assuming that those things could happen. And then if they don't, well, then it works out and you're a lot happier, right? And so that's this um, this mantra of, of Marcus Aurelius's that he talks about. And it's just a brilliant entry point into the philosophy of uh, Stoicism. So I highly recommend checking out Meditations there. Now, the second... Uh, book that I would recommend is Epictetus by uh, Epictetus by my apologies, the Enchiridion by Epictetus is what I meant to say there, and this is really cool. You know how everyone says, um, you know, man, I wish there was a user like uh, user guide for life. That's a common expression. It used to be. I don't know if people say that much anymore, but it used to be the thing of man, I wish there was a user guides to life, and. Epictetus wrote us one. It was called the Enchiridion. It was literally considered the, the like a user manual to how to live your life. And a big thing about Epictetus, he really stresses this concept of the natural, the nature, the accepting all that happens as true, and therefore if it's true, then it is good or neutral. I cannot be upset with it because it is what it is. This is exemplified in the story of Epictetus. Epictetus, uh, to 
really fall down the socioeconomic status class, we are going from the emperor, the, the most powerful man on the earth, uh, Marcus Aurelius, down to the class of the slave. Epictetus was a slave. And not only that, he was a slave owned by another slave. So he, he, was, he was about as low as it could get. And he was sold into slavery in Rome. And the monstrous owner took Epictetus's leg and began twisting it. He was a sadist. And Epictetus calmly, outside of the grunts of natural pain, said to him, if you continue to bend my leg, it will break. And the slave owner, attempting to get a reaction out of Epictetus, thought, oh, he thinks he's so tough, huh? And kept twisting and twisting. And then he eventually snapped Epictetus's leg and it did break. And Epictetus gave no protest, nothing outside the natural noises of pain. He had accepted the nature of his situation, the truth, that what it that which is, and said, This is true, this is happening, therefore I cannot be upset at it. I have to accept it. He can break my leg, but he cannot take my will. He can cut off my arm, but he cannot take my will. He could cut off my head, but he would only take my life, but he will all never take my will. My will can only be given away. And so that's this concept of accept accepting the natural, the nature, that which is. A dark side, and that's why Stoicism is a very powerful philosophy for dealing with some of our hardest times, difficult times, struggles, is this ability to stand against the most powerful pain by acceptance, and then accepting the logos and saying that which is, is it, that which is natural, that is that is true, is going to happen. I cannot control it, so I must accept it. And then the logos is my ability to look for the truth in the world and to live by that truth. And I find that out by using the dialectic and observing nature. And that's how you get to that conclusion by Epictetus. So it's Epictetus' Enchiridion. I would recommend picking that one up as well. And again, um, if you want to learn how to get those kinds of books for free, I have a course on how to use the dialectic and how to get books for free. Uh, just type in the comment section, I'm interested, and I will uh, contact you somehow. I don't know. We'll figure out how to get it to you. Now, moving on, we have Seneca. Seneca, the book I'd recommend is On the Shortness of Life. Fantastic, fantastic book. I did a lecture on that on this channel. Highly recommend checking that out. And that basically, incredible. This man philosophically came up with 
a way to just increase your productivity so far that this is what billionaires are using. So why is a billionaire able to accomplish in a day what you won't accomplish in a lifetime? It's insane, right? Seneca actually teaches us how that's possible and how to even get to that point, and it's based on the Stoic philosophy. Highly recommend checking it out on the shortness of life and check out my lecture on it as well. So Seneca is another example of this, this accepting of nature. Seneca has uh, chronic disease that makes it so that he has maybe one to three good hours in him every day before he's just bedridden. And we see this religious acceptance of the truth in the Logos. And he says, okay, well, the truth of the matter is I have this chronic disease. That is natural. That is, the, that is what is. That is the state in which I am in. And so I accept it. I will not be upset about that. And now, how do I work with what is in my control? And so he starts thinking about how can I get better and better and better at doing the most with the least amount of time. And he comes up with different tactics to accomplish that, which we go over in the, book, in the lecture as well as, as in the book here on the shortness of life. And so he really shows us this um, practical side of the Stoic philosophy, which is, I think, very unique and very interesting to the Stoics. I guess unique isn't the right word, because there are other philosophers who have posited it, but in general, philosophers not too interested in the popularization and the practical application of their ideas. That's kind of what role I'm trying to fill here. I'm a rhetorician. Um, I, I'm not, I, I'm one of the best rhetoricians, actually. I'm a marketer, an advertiser, and a magician. That's, that's all my skill points are in there. That's what I do for a living. And so simplifying complicated ideas and making them easy to understand for people to apply in their everyday life is something that I'm particularly good at. I'm working on my dialectic, but, you know, I'm no Aristotle, that's for sure. And so... What makes the Stoic really cool is a lot of them focus on that practical application so that the average person could apply these principles in their daily life. And I really like that, and you get that a lot from Seneca. Now, finally, we see Cicero. And Cicero's treatise on friendship and old age is a really cool example of applying the Stoic philosophy rather than these these harsh, um, perhaps you might say, niche issues. Uh, you know, being a slave, having your leg broken and crippled for life, or get, getting a chronic disease and uh, and still making your life work, or being the emperor of a, of a great nation. Um, Cicero tackles a problem that a hundred percent of you have to deal with it's the fact that all of you are going to get older every day and all of you are going to die yeah pretty harsh huh <laughs> this the stoics don't joke around and so cicero in his book um on the treaties on friendship and old age 
talks about these concepts of acceptance of death, overcoming that fear of death, because death comes to all, therefore it is natural, it is what will happen, it is what is, so we must accept it as a good or okay thing, because it is what happens, and we worship the Logos above all and into above our emotions. So even though we feel sad, it is wrong for us to feel sad because it is what is true. Um, and that would be the dialectic of how we figured that out and then get around that emotional response. So fantastic, a fantastic book there uh, by Cicero. Highly recommend checking that out. And so that kind of gives you the intellectual study course uh, the introductory course to Stoicism. If you want to start getting involved and understand the philosophy um, better than a PhD student, reading these books, studying them, writing an essay from uh, as as you feel inspired by them, um, I would recommend at least a minimum of one per book of these authors you read. Minimum. Um, just so you don't go saying, well, I felt inspired once throughout this entire journey. Come on write an essay on it, write your thoughts, journal, vlog. It doesn't have to just be writing. It could be uh, verbal, it could be spoken, um, but get those things down. You got to process your data and you will have a better education on stoicism than what you see out of the Ivy League academics. And you might say, Tyler, that is absurd. That is ridiculous. Well, um, I created the accelerated learning model that was presented at Oxford University. Um, I went to the college system and I am familiar with the fact that Harvard recently put out from, by the way, it's uh, peer reviewed science has a 52% non-reproducibility. That means the science coming out of Harvard and all peer reviewed science, I should say, as an average, not just Harvard exclusively, my apologies, let's take that back there. Uh, that's all peer reviewed science called the reproducibility crisis. You can look into this also known as the, uh, the reproduction crisis. Um, states that 52% of all peer-reviewed science cannot be reproduced, meaning that it's less reliable than a coin flip. Harvard University recently put out a study saying that 2 plus 2 equals 5, and that logic, math, and reasoning are white supremacy. So when I say that you can get better than a Ivy League education by just reading these great minds and writing an essay on them, um, I'm serious. I really think that you can, in my personal opinion. Now, let's look into three practical applications of Stoicism that will allow you to start practicing right now. The first one is the morning mantra. And we saw this with Marcus Aurelius. Uh, but what this amounts to is in, in your morning, as you look at yourself in the mirror before your day starts, Tell yourself, you know, imagine in your mind, what is the worst case scenario of what could happen to me today? I want to really imagine what it could be. And then ask myself, if that happened, how bad would that be? On a scale of one to 10. And what you'll find is that even your most worst case scenarios that come to mind, now obviously stay away from cartoonish ones, things that are wildly impractical. Like a meteor could come down and hit my car. Okay. Well, then you're dead and then you don't have to worry about it. Therefore, it's actually only a five out of ten. Right? <laughs> I'm joking. But you get the idea. Practically, you know, per perhaps you could um, get into stuck into traffic and you could be late to work. And uh, your boss could be very angry at you and perhaps you could even get fired. 
Okay, so let's let's imagine through the things that could happen, and, and again, make sure that they're reasonable and realistic for you. Realistic for you. And once you've seen what the worst is, oftentimes what you'll find, and I call this concept practical pessimism, you'll find that your worst case scenario is actually not that bad. And at worst case scenario, it's going to affect you negatively for maybe less than a month or two, max. Usually it's less than a few days. And so that can allow you to push forward from that point of saying, here's what's the worst case scenario. I've assessed the the scenario and I've come to the realization that it is something I'm willing to accept and could overcome. And so that's the morning mantra. And once you come to that point from your life, now you've set your expectations so low as you approach your life, everything good that happens that is above that expectation is perceived as very great. If you go into a business relationship uh, or if you if you go into a store thinking that you know, you'll be treated poorly, people um, could treat you poorly, they could give you weird, rude stares, they might make mean faces at you, you know, things of that nature, right? Uh, you might get an upset, angry grocery clerk. When you go in to buy your groceries and you go up to the grocery clerk and they smile and say, hey, how's your day? Boom, that's, that's so much brighter because what it could have been, it could have been so much worse, right? And you were okay and you were prepared to deal with so much worse. But look how great life's actually going. And so that's this uh, morning mantra method. And to be frank with you, I'm not actually a big fan of that myself. Um, I think this is one of the flaws in the Stoic philosophy, to, to be frank. And uh, we'll go over the criticisms here at the end. Um, but I think that that's, that's the main one, to be honest. And I don't even know if it's a criticism as much as it is a uh, difference of opinion, perhaps. We'll go over it in a bit. The second practical philosophy that you can take away from here is the, the control, not control filter. So this is doing an audit pretty... <laughs> my goodness. Uh, this is doing an audit at not so much predictable but but occasionally stopping when whenever emotions are getting high whenever you feel like you're getting overwhelmed whenever you feel anxiety is rising all these times it, it or or even regularly you can schedule this and say once a day of saying the control not control filter and this is telling yourself okay of the things that I'm thinking about right now which of these are in my control Oh, I'm worried about, I don't know if the, you know, I don't know if my uh, letter I sent is going to get there on time. You can't control that anymore. It's a waste of your time. So put all the things that are outside your control. Ah, I'm in chronic pain because my leg was broken because I'm a slave and I had a horrible master who snapped my leg as uh, sadistic torture. Okay, well, I can't control that anymore. That's, that is what it is. So I put it over in the not control. And then things that I can control, I put them over into the control category. And then what I want to do is take all the energy I was wasting on those not controls and I want to put it towards the things I can't control because I can't change what I can't control and I can change what I can control. So you're constantly realigning your energy towards that which you can't control. This massively increases your productivity and your success in life. It's the second practical philosophy technique, the control not control filter. Finally, the third one is called intentional impoverishment. <laughs> and this one's a little wild, um, but basically 
it's the proposition that you should schedule out intentional periods of essentially suffering, uh, practicing out the worst case scenario for life. So imagining you lost your job, you were socially isolated and ridiculed, cut out, and you were uh, the bottom of the bottom. What, what might you have to do? So this would be not sleeping on your bed, but sleeping on the floor for a day or two. Um, some people will take this practice to a week. Um, eating only the, the, the cheapest sustenance you can get, and, you know, maybe just pure oatmeal or ramen or things of that nature. Um, so, or fasting a lot is, is common as well. Uh, you know, fasting for much of the day and eating only the low, most bland, boring, inexpensive food that you could acquire. Um, as a reminder to yourself of, and, and this is what's so weird about this exercise is that this is here to show you this is how bad life could be. And that is helpful in two ways. One, it makes you thankful for how good your life is. And it also has this other benefit, which is this secret benefit you might not think of. It's not as intuitive. And that secret benefit is that you realize that the worst of the worst isn't nearly as bad as your imagination had made it out to be. I think, in a way, you know, camping is almost like this stoic impoverishment where you're, you, you know, you're essentially simulating what it would be like to be homeless, living in a tent. Um, you know, swap out the food for usually when you go camping, you know, very base, base foods, very cheap foods, very easily preserved foods. Um, you know, I think you could take it to the next level. What if you ate just, you know, beans and salt or something like that? Who knows? You know, to do, do what works for you. But that's the intentional impoverishment here. And so those are three practical philosophies or philosophical practical philosophy in the sense that you can start applying this today start testing out the stoic philosophy for your life now moving into the criticisms um the first the big criticism is that from nietzsche and, and all of you guys know how I feel about Nietzsche. I think Nietzsche is trash. He's a garbage philosopher. Um, and the crit main criticism lobbied at Stoics is based on Nietzsche because most people who are criticizing Aristotle, Plato, and Socrates are not very educated people. They instead read Reddit forums and read quotes from other people that they perceived as intellectual from the modern day and just regurgitate what they say. Um, it's very gross, very gross indeed. But, alas, the criticism uh, Nietzsche levies is that the Stoics spent most of their time writing down things that sound sage-like rather than living lives that were sage-like. Um, this coming from the voice of Nietzsche is a laughable, disgusting, pathetic uh, assertion considering Epictetus was the one who did have his life broken. 
broken and did live his philosophy. Seneca was the one with chronic disease and did live his philosophy. Marcus Aurelius was the emperor and did live his philosophy. And uh, Nietzsche sat and wrote about how he would be so cool and so tough and so strong and so powerful and all the people would love him and all the women would fall at his feet and he was a pathetic disgusting timid cowardly nerd he was a milk guzzler who was basically just larping in his head as this look at me look how great i could be if the world if the world hadn't been so unjust just just pathetic and so that's the critique, main critique of the Stoics, and it's completely baseless, as much of what Nietzsche says is completely baseless. It's just slanderous lies that he levies, thinking that he is a uh, magical philosopher who discovered the new philosophy when his entire philosophical foundation is based on a philosophical contradiction. It, he is a joke, and the fact that he has gained popularity is quite infuriating, to be frank. <sighs> I feel like he's a smokescreen to hide people from the monster that is Hegel, who is essentially the father of Nietzsche. <sighs> Disgusting. Now, in terms of criticisms that I think could be considered valid, is that from the practical applications of the knowledge that has been attained in the field of psychology that is reproducible, which is very, very, very rare. Um, most of psychology is not replicatable, so when we do find some of it that is, we kind of get excited about that because, um, so just so you know, whenever you see science that claims to be from psychology, remember they have a reproducibility uh, for their particular field of 80% non-reproducibility. That means that psychology is more often wrong than it is right. And so if you read it, just realize that it's probably all garbage and nonsense. You should not believe anything that is cited by a psychology expert, in my opinion, um, if they're basing their opinions off of peer-reviewed research, because 80% of it can't be reproduced. That being said, one that is well established is what's called cognitive biases. In fact, I have the entire diagram of all the biases. It's called the Cognitive Biases Codex, framed on my wall, because it is a foundational aspect of magic, marketing, and advertising, persuasion, and rhetoric, which is what the crux of my skill sets are in my life that I focus on as my art. I guess my career is what you would call that. And cognitive biases show us that what we focus on we kind of bring into our life now before you freak out and say is this the, 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 the secret manifestation no it's not I mean it is <laughs> but, it, but it's not um, it is in the sense that it is how the manifestation stuff actually works um, which isn't a spiritual thing but it's not in the sense that you're sending out these magical wavelengths in the sky to make the universe bend to your will what it is saying is that here I'll walk you through an experiment of it right now have you ever noticed that colors affect us differently 
for example, the color red. You might not notice this, but people who are more intelligent, naturally gifted, um, and are overall charismatic tend to have more red in their environment. It tends to mean that they're more liked by their friends, um, more supported by their friends, and so they're just naturally drawn to the color red. So while most people might only have one or two items in their room that are red, um, the person who meets all these qualifications would find that there's three, four, maybe even seven colors of red in the person's room. And so why don't you go ahead and find out how amazing a person you are as you look around your room right now and notice, isn't it crazy how much more red there is in your room? I'm noticing my books, my keyboards. I'm noticing my uh, little shaker stick thing for my magic show. Um, the Ziploc baggie next to me. So all these things are red, the red light on my microphone. And you'll experience that as well as you looked around. Why did that happen? Because I primed your brain to look for the red in your environment, so now it seems like there's more red, and I associate a bunch of positive qualities with that. As such, you can apply that same cognitive bias and look for the negative. So you can go out and try and find what's wrong, broken, and sucks about something, um, and plan for that, and then you'll go and find that in your environment. Or you can go and look for what's good, and what could be better, how it could be improved, what's a solution to anything, problems you see come up, and then your brain will be looking for those things. And so I think there is a place for practical pessimism, but I think your default mode of thinking is better framed in positive thought rather than negative thought. I think that there is a place for this rational Ization of saying, what are the real consequences of my actions? What are the real negative things that could happen? And But then really focusing in on, but also what are all the great things that could happen? And really making that the center of your focus. And this is really taught well in the Christian faith. This is um, the hope aspect of all of this works for the honor of God in some way or form. So all this works in favor of God and, um, you know, ask and you shall receive uh, you shall tell the mountains to move and they shall move so there's this real drive towards positive thought as a prime and, and that's not to be confused with positive thinking those are two different things positive thought is different from positive thinking po- positive thinking is sometimes not a good thing positive thought is instead this broader term of uh, how can I make this better how could I build a better system? How could I grow? How could I build, grow, and create the beautiful, the good, and the true? How can I create solutions? This, this, that's positive thought. It's not just you know saying I'm going to be a millionaire over and over in head in your head and thinking that'll magically bend the world into you being a millionaire. So that is the the second major critique against the Stoics. And the, the final one you have is just the critique coming from the Hegelians, which is not a critique at all. It's the Hegelian dialectic, which is, but I can find faults in any of your people who are thinking, okay, that means nothing. And we don't engage with the Hegelians. We don't discuss with the Hegelians. Um, we don't need to address their opinions or their thoughts. They are evil people. Their philosophy is not a philosophy. It's a religious, psychotic 
religious cult. Uh, it's like Scientology, but much, much worse. They are a delusional group called the Hegelians. Uh, they don't call themselves the Hegelians. They all have different denominations of their faith. And their religious faith essentially is that there is no truth, there is no meaning, which disproves itself in the second that they say it, by the way, because think about that. It's a time bomb. There is no truth. So you're accepting that there are things that can and cannot be? Yes. How did you arrive at that without truth? It disproves itself. The Hegelian's whole philosophy is based on destruction. They think that there is no truth um, and that the God is secretly hidden inside of everything. And this comes from a hermetic faith, um, the inversion and bastardization of the alchemical process, uh, actually. It's, it's hermetic roots. And that to find God, we need to destroy everything culture, society, people's lives, the economy, your futures, uh, movies, fun, entertainment, jokes, everything. Um, and if we shred it all, God will come from the ashes somehow. And so that's the Hegelian critiques. And so we don't address those here. I'm the, as uh, I, the people who frequent my stream here, we have a live stream here on certain days and if you want to find out about that you'll have to subscribe hit see first and follow the white owl when we go live join us and then you can find out about our secret discord that way if you're interested yes those are a lot of steps to get there i do that on purpose uh, we don't just want anybody showing up the owls stand against the hegelians um we don't we don't tolerate the hegelian in that culture so if that kind of discussion comes into um, the stream or our Discord or anything, they're banned on site. We don't allow that kind of discussion. Uh, there's no place for discussing with someone whose philosophy is to destroy, and uh, they use what's called negative thought, meaning that there is no possible way for them to posit even a solution. So we focus on what's called a build, grow, and create, the beautiful, the good, and the true. So instead of criticizing uh, Socrates or Aristotle or Marcus Aurelius, for example, well, Marcus Aurelius had some flaws. Okay. Um, tell me how you will live a better life than Marcus Aurelius. What is the methodology you are going to do to be greater and have a greater impact on as many people as Marcus Aurelius does? Create something better. And then if you do, I, I'll listen to that. If you pause it, here's a way I think you can live a better life than Marcus Aurelius. Fine, I'll hear you out. And I will apply the dialectic to you and I, I will criticize your idea and I will try to take it apart and then vice versa. I can posit an idea and try and beat him too. But frankly, I don't think I'm gonna be able to beat Marcus Aurelius. So I think I'll just keep using his ideas um, and see if you can beat his. That's, that's the dialectic there. So those are the three major criticisms of the uh, philosophy and a brief overview. So when people ask, what is stoicism? You can give them this video and this gives them a, a brief overview, my thoughts on the topic. But what is most crucial throughout all of this is not what I have to say on it, but instead what the greatest minds had to say on it. So please do not mistake this for uh, replacement for reading. 
the books. Um, read, at a minimum, The Trial and Death of Socrates and Aristotle's Rhetoric and Plato's Republic. I think that's the bare, bare minimum, honestly. I mean, I would grab a copy of all of both the complete works of Aristotle and Plato. I know that's like 350 bucks. Um, but with the way things are going right now, you don't know what could happen to that wisdom. I've saved multiple backup archives. We have what's called the Wizard Library Project, um, where all these books are stored and decentralized and, and, and spread out. So there's no way they can destroy the knowledge. That being said, uh, getting printed copies is always a great idea for those great minds. That being said, I think that if you want to just, if you want to skate by Aristotle's rhetoric, the Republic by Plato and the trial and death of Socrates is a good baseline overview of what you need to know when it comes to the dialectic nature, natural and the logos. And I think that should do it. And then there's Marcus Aurelius's meditations, Epictetus's Enchiridion, Seneca on the shortness of life, Cicero's treatise on friendship and old age. Those are all true Stoic philosophy. Those are from the Stoics. And so, again, I would read these throughout um, as you're studying, write essays on each one. And I feel like by the end of that, you'll be better equipped with Stoicism than a PhD would be, in my opinion. Um, and so that's it. That is the lecture here for today on what is Stoicism from start to finish from uh, just one guy who calls himself a wizard on the internet. My name is Tyler and I am a wizard and I'm not a professional. I am a free thinker. I am supported through people literally sending me letters in the mail with uh, financial rewards or sometimes just positive thoughts or philosophy and so on and so forth and I read those on my live stream as I do a public philosophy lecture you could call me a public teacher <laughs> not a public school teacher a public teacher uh, in some regards but um, I don't raise myself to the position of teacher um, I don't want to take that title until I feel like I have deserved it and I wouldn't think of my freeform lectures um, as worth the title of teacher yet. I would think that that would be something that is um, probably edited and refined over time and perfected before I would consider it uh, reputable. I'm not like these disgusting liars, these false teachers that are in the education system who claim to be teachers and, and are absolutely garbage and regurgitating falsehoods and lies and Hegelian lialectic torture techniques and vile crap. Um, I would not, I would not do that to you guys, but I do those lectures because I know it's the best way to learn for myself. So I'm reading these books and gaining the knowledge and hoping to pass that on to you guys. So if you want to support the free thinker, uh, doing that kind of thing, I appreciate it, but it's not required. I have a job. I make money through rhetoric, marketing, and advertising, and I appreciate it and consider the financial rewards as a scoreboard, if you will, for how effective I've been at helping people's lives. And so that would be the only time I would ask you to do that is if you have the funds to support what I'm doing and you can afford to 
make that. But if not, there's no reason for you to do that. You can help by being a part of the community, liking, sharing, commenting your thoughts below, engaging in the dialectic, spreading this to uh, Reddit groups, Facebook groups, people who would have interest in these ideas, that kind of thing. All of these are valuable uh, to helping getting the ideas out. And most of all, becoming part of the community, being someone who helps us progress as this group of owls grows and becomes people who are free thinkers and know how to think. And that brings us back to the final point again, just as a reminder, I have a self-learning course. It is completely free. If you're interested in that, comment below. I'm interested and I'll figure out a way to give that to you. Um, you, know, you can DM me on TikTok or Instagram for it as well. And that includes how to use the dialectic, how to find the books that we mentioned here today for free, and um, how to get to continue your education without going into student debt. So those are the topics covered there, and it is a completely free course. And so with that, I think that's it. Thank you guys for tuning in here and enjoying. I hope this helped you guys out and gave you some insight on what stoicism is and helped answer those questions that keeps popping up inside of our uh, really, really awesome stoic group here. Really loved being part of it, being invited into this community or allowed, I should say, accepted. That's the word I'm looking for. I was accepted in this community. Um, it says stoicism when you find it in uh, Facebook. However, when I go to share the link, what I find is that this link says stoicism convo uh, is in the share link. So just, just as a heads up there, guys, that is the group that I am uh, talking about there and look forward to talking to you guys again soon. Thank you for uh, checking this out and I'll talk to you all later. Peace.